Yeah, we could talk about that if you want to. That would be that would be good. I guess. I mentioned a couple of things to you, and then if you need, before we do that, so the boys can sit down. If you need a copy of God's Word, you can slip your hand up, and Jim and Chad would be glad to give it to you. I'll tell you where we're going to be in a moment. You probably can figure it out if you look at your guide. There's a couple of things I do want to mention to you. Tonight, at 5 o'clock, we have our annual... Christmas celebration at the Bartley campus, and both campuses come together, and we'll just have a good time. It's a lot of fun, and I'll have my famous Santa Claus sweater on, and uh, I wear, I'm allowed to wear it once a year. And I'm excited because today's the day. I get to wear it tonight, and then we're, I think we're putting it away forever based on the response I've been getting around the house about how ugly it is. I think this may be the last time it's... Did, did she speak? Yeah, it, it has shrunk a lot. I don't know why. <laughs> Apparently my wife does not know how to do laundry. I don't know. Where. But it has shrunk a lot. I, I'm sure that has nothing to do with me. But tonight, we may be retiring it tonight. I would put it in the clothes closet, but it's so ugly I wouldn't even put it in there. So, Speaking of the clothes closet, Saturday is our monthly help day. The, this coming Saturday at the Bartlett campus. From about 10 to, to 1, especially, if you want to come early and help set up, start doing that around 8 o'clock. But really, from about 10 to 1 is a real intense time, both in the gym, pushing baskets, upstairs, in the clothes closet, and just a lot of bodies, traffic going through, and, and stuff to, particularly the clothes, you got to get in, you got to get them out, get them up on the rack so people can go through them, and down in the gym, hand out food, and roll to the, to the baskets to the cars. And if last month's, uh, last two months, we've had well over 400 people, so it's a lot to do in a short period of time, so we need everybody we can get. And if you've never been there, never been part of it, you will personally be blessed more than the people who, who get the food and the clothes. It's, uh, it's just a tremendous personal blessing that we as a church are able to do that. It's really, under Chris's leadership, has become a just a massive undertaking in ministry and uh, so Saturday this coming Saturday the 21st if you can be there uh, particularly from 10 to noon but if you want to come a little early and help set up we're not going to turn you away I promise and then finally if you haven't put it on your calendar already if, if you can put uh, Christmas Eve at five o'clock Tonight, by the way, is at 5 o'clock. I don't know if I said that or not, but Christmas Eve at 5 o'clock right here. We'll have our candlelight communion service that we do annually. So uh, it's always a very special time. So 5 o'clock, Christmas Eve. Anybody know when that is? Jim Gentry. Where's Jim Gentry? He always knows. When is Christmas Eve? Very good. Impressive. Every year. (laughs) Every year. All right. Turn to Luke. Turn to Luke chapter 2. If you've been here the last few weeks, you know we've been looking at Christmas and the idea of God's sovereign plan, even as they were singing the Noel song right before we came, I came up, the idea where we're going to look at today, where the great announcement is made, and God says to the angels, come see, come see what my plan has 
been from all eternity. Here it is, a baby in a manger. We're going to talk about that. I'm going to walk through that tonight. But I want to make sure we keep it in the context of what we've been looking at as we're going through. We've, been, we've seen the Christmas lamb going all the way back to great, God's great eternal plan of salvation to redeem mankind, that he was the substitute, the substitutionary atoning sacrifice for us. He was the Passover. He was God's provision to redeem mankind. Saw him as a suffering servant in prophecy and in Passover. And all throughout Scripture, you see God picturing for us what he was going to do, what we celebrate as Christmas, bringing Messiah to planet Earth. It's such a marvelous picture of grace when you understand in totality what God was doing. Because he puts Adam and Eve in paradise, and they choose to rebel and not trust him, not love him, and original sin enters the planet and brings death and sin upon all. All of us are born with a disease. It's called a sin nature. Every one of us, as a result of that. And the beauty of understanding grace and atonement is that Adam and Eve tried to cover their sin. How many of us have ever done that? Okay, everybody's lying but me. So, we try to cover our sin. We know we've done wrong, and yet we don't want to get caught. And whether it's your parents, or whether it's your spouse, or whoever it might be, you, you know you've done wrong. We've always under, tried to think, maybe I can cover that up. It's exactly what Adam and Eve did. And God made it clear in that moment, you can't do, you can't, Atone. And the word in Hebrew means cover. You can't cover in your own fleshly efforts your sin problem. I, however, will provide a covering, an atonement, picturing what the Christ child would do later at the cross through the gospel. Very simple is three words death, burial, and resurrection. He died. To pay for our sin debt. He was buried and he rose again so that sin and death no longer are an issue for us if we are in Christ. That's Christmas. That the Lamb came, the Passover Lamb, the provision, the substitutionary sacrifice came as a child to live as a man, to die as the God man because he was perfect. We talked about last week. He could take my place. Here's the picture. Man, each of us individually, and man as the human race, because of Adam's sin, we all owe a debt we cannot pay. Kind of like student loans. We owe a debt we cannot pay. What God said is, said was, I will pay it for you. And then the theme of all scripture is laid out for us in Habakkuk 2.4, where the Bible says, the righteous shall live by faith. By faith in the God who said, I'll pay your debt. By faith in the provision that God provided to the atoning sacrifice of Jesus, the God-man, his death, his burial, his resurrection, I put my faith in that. It pays my debt, and I'm set free. When Jesus said at the cross, hanging on the cross, it is finished, the Greek term means that debt has been paid in full. You no longer owe it. 
I love there's so many beautiful metaphors in Scripture that talk about it, that God removes our sins as far as east is from west, and he remembers them no more because he poured out his wrath. Talked about this last week, propitiation, that word in Scripture means satisfied God's demand for judgment, his wrath. He poured it out on Christ so it doesn't have to be poured out on me. I'm in Christ. I'm set free. And that's the exciting thing about not just Christmas, but every day. Well, one of the reasons I love Christmas so much is that it just historically it reminds me and brings me back to how special, how significant that night we're going to look at today was. Not just for that moment in history, but for Randy Lockley, on a personal level, God said, Randy, I love you so much, I'll send my son to take your place so that you don't have to pay that debt, which you can't pay anyway. I'll take your place. And that's a God that I want to serve. That's a God that you can get behind because he carries you. So turn to Luke chapter 2, and as we get to Christmas, the story itself, you see this Christmas lamb that we've been talking about as the substitute, as the sacrifice, as the suffering servant last week, prophetically fulfilling Isaiah and all those hundreds of Old Testament prophecies that this man, Jesus of Nazareth, fulfills, and he steps into space and time as the eternal God who becomes a man at a definite moment in time, the word became flesh, God with us. So we see Christmas is the ultimate fulfillment of God's plan to redeem us. So let's talk about the first thing we'll look at today in Luke chapter 2 is that it was announced, that moment was announced by angels, that historical moment. Look at Luke chapter 2 verse 1. We all know the story, but it's so beautiful to read and just think about. Luke 2.1, it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered, a census. This census first took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. So, so all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up from Galilee out of the city of Nazareth into Judea to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So it was that while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. She brought forth her firstborn son, wrapped him in swaddling cloths, and laid him in a manger, the trough, because there was no room for them in the inn. Now there were in the same country shepherds, living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. This historical moment, the birth of the Christ child, God's eternal plan, Emmanuel, God with us. Look at verse 8 again. They were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. Verse 7, there's a manger, there's a feed trough, animals, sheep, lambs. I don't think it's an accident that God lays it out for us this way. In Scripture, I think God is saying, here it is again. Let me remind you one more time, this is about a humble Servant God, the eternal creator of the universe, is stepping into space and time as a common baby laid out in a feed trough because they don't have any room for them to stay in the inn out there where the shepherds are 
where the animals are, where the smell is. This is where God is. The incarnation. He has come to redeem. Historical moment. Verse 9. Behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were greatly afraid. And the angel said to them, Do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. I want you to pause for a moment, and you're an angel. No, let's don't do that. We'll make you a shepherd. Pause for a moment, and you're a shepherd. This angel appears, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Let's be real. You're a shepherd. You're out there just doing your job. Probably where Bethlehem Paphra was is that they've got animals they're tending to that were even used in the temple for sacrifices. We really don't know what time of year it was, but they're out there doing their job. Shepherds. Lowest, as far as the social ladder, they're at the bottom. And suddenly an angel appears to them, and the glory of God surrounds them. If you run the glory of God through Scripture, it's always pictured as unapproachable light. And suddenly, light is so bright, what is their response? Look at the verse again. They were what? Not just afraid, what? They were terrified. You know what? You'd have been terrified too. I'd have been looking for some place to hide, and in that light, you ain't hiding. You're not hiding from God's light. It illumines, illuminates everything. The glory of God surrounds them. This great historical moment and the first human fear on the night the Christ child is born is what? Fear. First human emotion is fear. Normal. But notice what the angel says to them. Do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. I love this. Did God know they were afraid? Of course he did. Did he know they were going to be afraid? Of course he did. So his first message to them is what? Don't be afraid. By the way, you want a cool little Bible study, I mentioned this in my class, I think last week or the week before. Take the phrase, fear not, or do not be afraid, and run it through Scripture, you know how many times it's in there? I'll help you. 365. Think that's an accident? What's God saying? I got you. Every day. Every day. There are going to be times when you're terrified, like the shepherds were. What's God say to you? Don't be afraid. I got you. Fear not. And you really want to be excited as you do this little Bible study. You get you an exhaustive concordance. I think you can probably even get them online now. Mine's a giant book that weighs 75 pounds. Just take that phrase, run it through, and then make you a little bullet point list what God says to you. Fear not. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. Fear not. I'll finish what I started in you. Fear not. I'm here. Fear not. I got it. I'm paraphrasing that's the way God would want you to get it. Fear not. I'm already in tomorrow. Fear not. You're secure in me. Fear not. 
your destiny is set. If you're in Christ, you're already mine. And you will always be mine. Fear not what man can do to you. That's just a sampling of what he says 365 times. And so at this historical moment, the first message, it's not an accident that it's the shepherds. What's God saying? You're just as important as those Pharisees and Nero, or not Nero, Caesar Augustus. You're just as important. He announces it to shepherds and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. But he also says something else. I bring you, verse 10 and 11, good tidings of great joy for all people. Born to you this day is the Savior, Christ the Lord. This Savior, you don't have to be afraid. He's greater than the Roman Empire. He's greater than Herod. He's greater than the Pharisees. He's greater than your circumstances. It's good tidings. This is the gospel. Good news. Great joy for all people. Because this day, this night, is born to you a Savior. I've solved your sin problem. A Savior who is Christ or Messiah, the Lord. He's your Savior He's your Messiah. He's your God, Emmanuel, God with us. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, very famous verse, the Bible says this. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. The government will be upon his shoulder. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. He's the fulfillment of of what Isaiah was talking about. We saw Isaiah last week as a suffering servant. You see him now as he's the child. So there's two beautiful words in here. The child is born, definite moment in time, a human being, a baby was born. Number two, a son is given. He comes as the Christ child, the Messiah, the, the anointed one, the Savior, and he was born a Savior. It's Christ the Lord. He's come as the son of, he will be the son of man. Daniel described the Messiah as the son of man. That's who he is. Jesus always referred to himself as the son of man most of the time. He's come, this child, to be your Messiah, but he's also the son of God given to you. He's always been eternally. He is God the son. In Isaiah, then over in the Gospels, right here it says, his name is Wonderful Counselor. Everlasting Father. He is God. Jesus said, I and the Father are one. Before Abraham was, I am. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. In other words, I am, I am. I am God. One of my favorite passages in the Gospels is when Jesus picks up Isaiah 61 as a visiting rabbi and he reads it. And then he hands the scroll back to the attendant and he says, today, these words are fulfilled in your hearing about the one who would come to give blind, uh, uh, sight to the blind and heal the brokenhearted. They all knew it was about the Messiah. Jesus read it, handed it back, and said, uh, I am what Isaiah was talking about. I am. So we see that historic night and the shepherds it's announced to them. 
Then notice a multitude of angels announced what? Under you was born, verse 11. City of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. This will be the sign to you. You'll find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths, lying in a manger, and suddenly with the angel, verse 13, a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So you had one angel originally. Now you've got a multitude of angels that announce the glory of God has returned. Glory to God in the highest. If you go back again through scripture, the glory of God teaching the children of Israel after they left Egypt. They had the Holy of Holies and the tabernacle, the Ark of the Covenant. No one, it represented the presence of God. Only on the Day of Atonement was a high priest allowed to go in there. There was no artificial light. There was no light of any kind. It was illuminated by the presence of God, the glory of God, the Shekinah glory of God in the Holy of Holies. On the Day of Atonement, it would go in there and sprinkle the blood on the lid of the Ark of the Covenant, the mercy seat. Then it was in the temple, same thing. It left the temple. The glory of God left the temple because of rebellion and sin of Israel. You know what the angels are announcing to the shepherds and ultimately to the world? The glory has returned to earth. It's here in the presence of this child born at Bethlehem, the Christ child. It's returned tonight to Bethlehem. It's in Jesus. Greatest moment in the history of the world to that point. Here it is. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. This is their historical message, that of the angels. Glory to God. Peace on earth. That's the one everybody wants to talk about. Everybody sings about. Peace on earth. Glory to God above everything in the highest. Peace on earth. Goodwill toward men. The mission of this Savior, the Christ child, is peace on earth. And goodwill toward men. Please see this. So you don't, nothing wrong with celebrating Christmas the way we do. But I want to make sure you see the hand of God sovereign over all of this. Peace on earth. Romans 5.1 says, having been justified, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he brought was the opportunity and the capacity to be at peace with God. To go from being his enemy, Romans 5.8, saying chapter, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us to go from being in rebellion and in the enemy's camp, owned by sin and Satan, to be translated into the camp of God, his child adopted in his family. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And therefore, we have the capacity, Philippians talks about, to have the peace of God that passes all understanding, because now that Holy Spirit that was in the tabernacle and in the temple dwells where? In us. He tabernacles in us, the church. We have the opportunity to glorify God above all. Glory to God in the highest. So he brings peace. It is not talking about peace between nations, even though that can be a byproduct. He's talking about peace in the heart of individual human beings. It's 
possible because the Christ child came to go to the cross for death, burial, and resurrection. But then secondly, goodwill toward men. Very simply, you sum that up by God brought grace to earth. Grace. He was going to give you the very best he had at his own expense. You don't deserve it. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. It's a free gift. Christmas for God so loved that he gave. He didn't just send a baby to manger to live and one day die. We're redeemed by the blood of the lamb. We talked about that before. Peter said, by the precious blood of the Son of God, we were redeemed. He came to die, suffering servant. We talked about last week. Jesus said, I came to suffer and to die. So here's the picture. Glory to God in the highest, these angels of multitude. And the number, again, try to imagine the scene. When it says a multitude of the heavenly host, it, mean, it literally means in Greek, thousands upon thousands upon thousands, a myriad of angels are surrounding these shepherds with the glorious light of the glory of God, saying to them, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, goodwill toward men. God has brought you peace and grace. He's brought you hope. He's brought you salvation. You go to Bethlehem and see it. He's laying in a feed trough over there. You can see it. Goodwill. Grace manifested to these shepherds who were outcasts, <clears throat> ceremonially unclean because of what they did, and they, they could never go to temple and be cleansed, so they were considered unclean. And yet God announces it to them. There's a message there for me and you. You may not be good enough in the eyes of the world, but God says, I love you. I love you enough, I'll send my son to die for you. I want to read to you. We sing Little Town of Bethlehem. I've heard somebody, I was listening to somebody sing it this morning while I was shaving. I don't know who it was, but somebody was singing it. I think it was Mary. No, it wasn't Mary. These are the words of the third verse of that Christmas carol. Third verse. How silently, how silently the wondrous gift is given. So God imparts to human hearts the blessings of his heaven. No ear may hear his coming, but in this world of sin where meek souls will receive him still, the dear Christ enters in. Turn to John chapter 1. Next book, your Bible, just flip over there. John 1. So a historic moment announced by the angels to the shepherds. And we know the shepherds went to Bethlehem to see this great thing of which they had been told. That moment. Now we're going to see it's also announced by John the Baptist 30 years later. Verse 1, John 1. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him nothing was made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend or overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John the Baptist. This man came for a witness, to bear witness of the light, that all through the light might believe. 
He was not that light, but he was sent to bear witness of that light. That was the true light which lights every man coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, and the world did not know him. He came into his own, and his own did not receive him, but as many as received him. To them he gave the right, privilege, authority to become children of God to those who believe in his name. That's the gospel. They were born not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. We beheld his glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father. Please notice the end of verse 14, very important. Full of grace and truth. John bore witness of him and cried out, saying, John the Baptist, saying, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me is preferred before me, for he was before me. This man who was on earth, this Jesus of Nazareth, also existed before I existed. Who was older chronologically? John the Baptist was by about six months. So he's talking about this Jesus of Nazareth existed when? In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the beginning means before there was time, there was God. He's eternal. A son is given. Then you see verse 14, it says, The Word became flesh. The tense there is aorist, which means at a definite moment in time, this eternal Word stepped into our planet, Christmas. That's what we celebrate. So John the Baptist is about to announce that. So let's talk for a moment about the significance. John the Baptist is out baptizing. Let's talk about the significance of what's going on here. Look at verse 19. This is the testimony of John the Baptist when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, Who are you? Verse 25. They asked him, saying, Why do you baptize if you're not the Christ? Or Elijah? Or the prophet? Verse 27. John says, it is he who coming after me is preferred before me, whose sandal strap I'm not worthy to loose. Verse 30, this is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me. Over and over, you see this here, the beginning of his gospel, John's gospel, John the Baptist saying, verse 34, I've seen and testified that this is the Son of God. So clearly John the Baptist is wanting everybody to know that this is God, the Son of God, the one who's come to be the Messiah. He says, as the voice of one crying in the wilderness, a fulfillment from Malachi, as the one who came to bear witness of the light, baptizing at this moment in time in history was a new thing to Israel. They had ceremonial washings, but they did not have baptism like John was doing. They just had ceremonial go in and wash. They didn't have a ceremonial rite like what John the Baptist was doing for repentance. But what John is saying is this. I baptize with water, physical. But there's one coming after me. We'll see who that is in a moment. Who will baptize with not water, but with the Holy Spirit. My baptism is physical, his is spiritual, mine is an earthly picture, his is a heavenly, eternal significance. And then verse 28, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world at Bethany. 
just a little simple side note, the significance of Bethany. This is the place where the Israelites crossed over and entered into the promised land under Joshua. This spot. What does the Lamb of God bring? Eternal life. What's the Lamb of God bring? The ultimate fulfillment that all that God had planned, the redemption of mankind. He is the Lamb. What does John the Baptist say? Behold, the Lamb of God takes away the sin of the world. He's saying this Lamb is pre-existent, he is preeminent, and he is God. Verse 29 is a big moment. He says, look, this is the Lamb of God. Passover lamb was a big deal to Jews. Pay attention. Behold, he uses the word behold in the Greek. Pay attention. He takes away the sin of the world. The phrase takes away in the original language means he takes it, he removes it, and he destroys it. He conquers. This is the Lamb of God who will conquer sin. He will destroy it. Just for a moment, let's go back to the Garden of Eden. What did God say to Satan after original sin? The seed of the woman is coming. You will bruise his heel, but he will do what to your head? Crush it. Destroy it. That's exactly what John the Baptist is saying. This is the one that was promised. This is the Passover lamb. This is the promised seed. He's come to destroy, take away. Then sin. It's a beautiful picture. He takes away, please note verse 29, he takes away the sin of the world. Let me pause for a moment because this is so important. He says he takes away the sin of the world. It clearly does not mean that people stop sinning, right? How do we know that? Thank you, Bill. And Bill's just like the rest of us. How do I know he didn't take away all the sins in the world? Because I know me. I look in the mirror. I know my heart. I know I commit sins. So here's what's going on. Because of Adam's original sin, every man is born tainted with the sin nature. I talked about earlier, we owe that debt we cannot pay because we are sinners. We commit sins because we are sinners. It's not the individual sins that separate me from God on a permanent basis. It might on a temporal relationship basis, but it doesn't separate me permanently. What separates me permanently is that I am a sinner. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away singular the sin of the world, that nature issue Jesus solved when he rose from the dead. That's what's being, that's why this moment is so important. No one else in the history of humanity or the planet could do this. It's God. He can solve your sin problem. You can turn over a leaf and do really good and I'm going to be a good person. A lot of people do that. But you can't redeem. You can't solve eternity. Jesus did and said, come to me. I'll take care of you. If you're in my hand, nobody's going to take you out of my hand. He solves the sin problem. Psalm 103, quoted it earlier, the Bible says this. 
He removes our sins as far as the east is from the west. That's how far he has removed our transgressions from us. Verse 29 again in John calls him the Lamb of God. This is the message, this title, the Lamb of God, is the message of all Scripture. The final sin sacrifice is for the whole world. The entire book of Hebrews is written about this subject, that there's one final sacrifice once for all. It says it over and over, once for all, once for all, once for all. We have the blood of Jesus. We don't need somebody else's blood. We don't need another animal. We don't need a temple. We don't need some other priest. We have Christ, our high priest. Consider him. That's the theme of the book of Hebrews. Stop going back. Written to Jews who had become Christians. You don't need more blood. Jesus' blood covers your sins. No animal can do that. He does. That's what John the Baptist is talking about. Behold the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the world. The final sin sacrifice. One last point. Turn to Revelation chapter 5. I told you when we started this, we were going to run the lamb from where? Genesis to where? Revelation. I did it. I can't believe it. Revelation chapter 5. So it's announced by angels. It's announced by John the Baptist. Ultimately and finally, because he is God and he is worthy, he will be worshipped. By all. When you get to Revelation chapter 5, you're looking at a picture into the future at the throne of God. God is about to reveal the answer to humanity's great mystery of all the ages, all the trouble, all the pain, the agony, and to say that there is hope. There is hope. In the future with the Lamb. And the entire focus of Revelation 5 is God reveals finally everything he's going to do and the answer to all our problems. And the whole focus of Revelation chapter 5 is on the Lamb. To exalt him, to honor him, to glorify him because he's worthy. Because he's worthy. He's worshipped. Look down at verse 11 in Revelation 5 and notice who he's worshipped by. 5.11 I looked. And I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands of thousands. This is very reminiscent of what we just read in Luke 2 when the angels make the announcement to the shepherds. Same picture. Thousands upon thousands upon thousands of angels. This is what John sees. And notice verse 12. These angels are saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor, and glory, and blessing. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and, and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who lives forever Endeavor. He's worshipped by angels. He's worshipped by every creature. He's worshipped by the elders. The whole point being, he's worshipped by whom? All. Everybody. Ultimately by everything, because he is worthy. 
because he's worthy. Look at verse 1 of Revelation 5. Notice how this progresses. Look at the scroll, verse 1. I saw in the right hand of him who sat on the throne, God, a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. In the right hand of God, and the right hand of God throughout Scripture represents authority, majesty, power. In his right hand, he holds a scroll. Scroll simply means a parchment. But notice this particular parchment or scroll is written on both sides. What that meant was that it was full, that it was important, that it was total, and it involved everything. In the context from chapter 6 forward, that this scroll is the final mystery of God. It's all finished. Now look at verse 1 again. It's, quote, sealed with seven seals. What that meant in the culture of the day was this is a will. Seven total, complete, and this is a will or a title deed that only the heir can open. By Roman law, a will was sealed seven times. This inheritance you're about to see is that of the Lamb. Psalm 2, the Bible says this. I will declare, decree, the Lord has said, you are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me and I will give you the nations for your inheritance, the ends of the earth for your possession, God says to the son. And then Hebrews says this. God who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets has in these last days spoken to us by his son whom he has appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the ages or the eons. He is the heir because he's the lamb. Now look at verse 2. Verse 2. Look at the worthiness of this lamb. I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, who's worthy to open the scroll, the scroll, the title deed, all that God has? Who's worthy to open that? No one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to even look at it. So John wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or even look at it. One of the elders said to me, to John, do not weep. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose its seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne of God and of the four living creatures and in the midst of the elders stood a lamb as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. And he came and he took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Who's worthy to open it? The answer is nobody. Nobody. But then in verse 5, it said there is one worthy, one worthy. Isaiah says, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of all the people. That's from Genesis 49. Jacob's last words to his 12 sons. And then in Isaiah, the Bible says, There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, 
David's father. A branch shall grow out of his roots, and in that day there shall be a root of Jesse who shall stand as a banner to the people, for the Gentiles shall seek him, and his resting place shall be glorious. Tribe of Judah, family of David, king of the Jews, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Let's fast forward to the crucifixion. After the Jews have convinced the Romans to crucify Jesus, Pilate puts him up there. What did Pilate say before he had him crucified? I find no fault in him. Why are you crucifying this man? And then when he puts him on the cross, Pilate puts a sign over Jesus. And what's the sign? King of the Jews. And they ask him to take it down, and Pilate says, what? What I've written, I've written. Sure seems like the king of the Jews to me. That's what he's saying. He's the fulfillment of the line of the tribe of Judah. He's the fulfillment of the lamb. He alone is worthy because he is also the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root, that ancestor of David, of Jesse. What God is doing here, he's uniting the two things that run throughout the Bible, the lion, the majesty, the rule, the power, the authority, the conqueror, the lion, the lamb, the sacrifice, the death to submit If you've ever read the Chronicles of Narnia by C.S. Lewis, that's what's being pictured here. With Aslan, the lion. Jesus, the lamb, the suffering servant. He's the kinsman redeemer in Ruth. He's got to be willing to redeem. He's got to be able to redeem. Jesus was both. Philippians 2, one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. The whole book of Philippians. But he says he willingly submitted himself to be crucified when he owned the universe he willingly he did that 28 times in revelation jesus was referred to as the lamb in the midst of the throne of god he's ascended he's exalted he's no longer in a manger feed trough he's no longer hanging on a cross he's no longer in a tomb He's the focus of all heaven. He's the focus of the entire creation. He is the Lamb who is worthy. That's what we celebrate at Christmas. The Christ child came to be the Passover Lamb who would be the Lamb who is worthy. Would you bow your heads, please? Father, as we close out our time together today, pray as as believers, we just pause and maybe even meditate on what the Lamb of God means to me personally. That Jesus of Nazareth, Nazareth was willing to be silent before his shearers, allow himself to be tortured to death because he loved me. What something special for us to celebrate, not just at Christmas, but particularly at Christmas today for us. That he came, willing to do it because he loved me. You use that, Father, in my life and the lives of every individual here that's a believer to realize how special it is to be in Christ, have those new eyes to see everything differently. 
We thank you, Father, and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we sing, and if you'd like for me to pray with you, I'll be down front.